Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. Pastor John Ortberg tells the story of a friend of his who happens to also be a pastor who was uh, attempting to have a children's moment where he brought all the kids from the sanctuary up to the front of the room. And um, my experience with children's time and, and worship is always something tragically happens and you know kids make everybody laugh and then it totally throws off all of the sermon. So uh, this is a perfect example of that. He tells the story about how his friend called all the kids up and he was talking about Resurrection Sunday. And so he asked the question, what were Jesus's first words to the disciples after he was raised from the dead? And before he was able to give the answer, a little girl raised her hand high into the sky. And so this pastor let her answer. He said, she says, I know, (laughs) ta-da. Sorry, I didn't do that well. Ta-da, probably would have been better jazz hands and all. As Ortberg, the pastor would argue, it was probably as great a translation as any other. Today is our ta-da day, right? The day on which history's greatest miracle happened, today our Savior rose from death. Guys, that doesn't happen every day. So today I want to read you the story of the resurrection from the book of John. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn, you're more than welcome to. It's John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. You can follow along on the screens if you want to do that as well. Here's what the word of the Lord says for us today in John chapter 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked into at the strips of the linen that were lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When you think about Easter, what are some of the things that you think about? Because I'm pretty sure that for most of us, uh, especially some of us parents, we think about all the things that have to happen, right? So we have lunch that we have to prepare for, or we have the family dinner. Um, you know, Easter baskets have to be found, right? The Easter bunny has come, so we have to find them. There are so many things that we have to look forward to, right? Uh, we have to make sure that we get all the peeps that are in our Easter baskets and throw them straight in the trash. Like, those are things that have to happen. What? Worst candy ever. <laughs> Love you. When we think about Easter, there are all kinds of things that pop into our heads, right? I think of family. I think of, you know, memories I had growing up on Easter egg hunts and dying eggs and hiding eggs and finding eggs. I think that this time in the world is a time where flowers start to bloom and trees become green again. I think of the baby chicks at Atwoods, right? <laughs> things like this is what I think about, are things that I think about when I think about Easter. But that's very different from when I think about the Easter story, right? There are a few things that are always in my mind when I think about the Easter story. I think about an angel. I think about a tomb with the stole, the stone rolled back. I, I think about a foot race between disciples who could see who got to the tomb first. I think of grave clothes folded up and lying where Jesus' body had been. There are so many pieces of the resurrection story that are so familiar to me because I've heard the story since I was a little kid. And if you were raised in the church, I'm sure that, that Easter has a very familiar feeling to you. But there are always some parts of the story that are less familiar, but in some ways just as important as the big pieces of the resurrection story. So this morning, I'm going to take a look at some of the things that oftentimes we just read over so that we can get a little more familiar with what the Easter story really means to all of us. This morning, I want us to find the places in Scripture where Jesus does something miraculous. So let's look at the story. The first thing that we have in this story is that it's early on the first day of the week. It's Sunday morning. It's super early. It's before the sun has even come up, and Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. It wasn't any of the 12 disciples that went to the tomb, it was Mary Magdalene. For those of you who may not know, Mary Magdalene was a woman who followed Jesus very closely. The gospel tell us, gospel stories tell us on multiple occasions that she had been rescued from seven demons that were cast out of her by Jesus. And from that moment on when she was healed, she was a follower of Jesus until the day that he died and then some. She left everything that she had known and she followed Jesus. Scripture tells us this in Luke chapter 8. And here's what it says for us in Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3. It says, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Scripture tells us in this moment that Mary had a past. Number one, that she was helping to fund the ministry of Jesus. And on this Easter morning, the day after the Sabbath, according to the Gospel of John, she was the first 
person at the tomb. That wouldn't have been all that odd, right? Because Jewish tradition is that women go to take care of the funeral arrangements. So because when Jesus was crucified, it was the day before Passover, they were preparing for those things, uh, they didn't have time to fully anoint Jesus' body and prepare him for the burial that he needed. And so she shows up at the tomb Sunday morning, ready to spice his body, ready to rewrap the linens, ready to pray over him and weep and mourn for him. In other books of scripture, we see that it's not just Mary, but she goes along with other women to the tomb as well. In this particular story, she's alone. Have you ever had somebody you love pass away? I think probably most of us, if not all of us, have. I'm sure each of us grieve differently, right? But when we all grieve people we love when they, when they pass from this life into next, we sometimes do it very differently. And Mary, I think, needed to grieve her rabbi, her teacher, right? This was a man that she had followed closely. He healed her of seven demons. And so she needed to love him and mourn for him and grieve the loss of his tragic death. It wasn't because he died of old age. It wasn't because he died of sickness. It wasn't because he died uh, as the result of war, as a casualty. Instead, Jesus died because he was murdered at the age of 33. And she had to mourn. And I bet that journey for her to the tomb was one of the hardest journeys that she had ever made. And again, Scripture says that she was alone, alone with her thoughts, alone with her emotions, remembering the incredible things that, that she had seen Jesus do, remembering the fact that she herself had been healed, remembering that Jesus taught about a kingdom that was coming that was going to change all of the way life was lived, the fact that he called himself the Son of God. He was recognized as the Messiah, and he's dead. How could the Messiah be dead? How could his life be cut so short? He was supposed to be the man who was going to destroy the evil Roman Empire and bring about the kingdom of God right here, right now, right then, but he's dead. And so Mary goes to mourn the loss of Jesus. And then scripture says when she gets to the tomb, it's not what she expected, right? The stone was rolled away. Jesus was gone. The stone that was meant to conceal his body, the stone that was meant to keep his body from being stolen by his disciples and presented as if Jesus had resurrected, the stone that was, whether we believe it or not, it was meant to keep Jesus where he was. No one person could have rolled it away. And Jesus hinted at resurrection. He talked about how if the temple was destroyed in three days, it would be rebuilt. And scripture tells us he was referring to himself. But this stone, this stone keeps that from happening. And when Mary shows up at the tomb, the stone is rolled back and go <laughs> Jesus is gone. What would you have done? Like we all go to funerals and we have expectations. <laughs> what if you showed up at a funeral and the casket was empty? Right? That would be odd. 
Mary is dealing with some of the strangest events she's ever experienced in her life. And it says her only response is to run and get the disciples, right? I don't know what to do. Jesus is gone. I came to anoint and mourn and cry and weep and pray over his body. He's not here. I got to go find somebody to help me figure this out. When she got back to the place where the disciples were staying, I'm sure that she had a hard time telling them exactly what was going on. She was out of breath because she had just run to where she was going. I'm sure she was still heartbroken and still crying, not knowing where Jesus was. And so between the sobbing and the gasping for breath, she finally was able to tell the disciples the news. His body is gone. The tomb is empty. You have to come and see what's going on. She was the very first witness to the miracle of the resurrection and she didn't even recognize it yet. The promise that Jesus had made that the temple would be destroyed and then rebuilt in three days, it had come to pass and no one knew it yet. And on this first Easter, Mary Magdalene, the woman who had been healed of seven demons, a woman with a past, was the very first person to experience resurrection. She wasn't perfect. She clearly had a history. I mean, Scripture's not shy. Every time Scripture brings up Mary Magdalene, every single time, it says, and Mary, the woman who was healed of seven demons, and Mary, the woman who had seven demons cast out of her, every single time, Scripture footnotes that. When they talk about Mary, she had a past. But I imagine that her life was dramatically different. And in this moment, God used this woman whose life was dramatically changed by Jesus to be the disciple, the apostle to the apostles. She came to tell the disciples that Jesus' words were true. And isn't it just like Jesus to invite those who most need it to experience who he is? To experience God's best. The Catholic Church calls Mary the Apostle to the Apostles because she was the first person to prove that Easter was here. The believers who were locked together in the upper room, who were scared and afraid, they were confused, they just watched their teacher die on a cross they would have also been pretty distraught over the fact that Jesus was dead. And now Mary is telling them that he's not where he was supposed to be. The message of hope came to the disciples from a woman who had a past. And then it says, here's what's great. The scripture just moves on and says, and so Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved just ran. They had to go see for themselves what had happened. And so they get up and they run to the tomb and it's like a race. And the funny thing is like, okay. So my understanding of the book of John is that when John uses the phrase, the disciple that Jesus loved, he's referring to himself, which of course makes sense. If I was going to write an autobiography or a memoir of my experiences with Jesus, I would also be the disciple that Jesus loved. And so I would also write the fact And I would make sure to footnote it. If I beat Peter in a foot race, that's going in, right? And so the disciple that Jesus loved beat Peter to the grave. But it's weird. It says he doesn't go in. He stops short. 
He pokes his head in and he sees, yep, that's, that's true. But then Peter just passes and he goes right into the tomb because he wants to see for himself what has happened. The clothes are there, but Jesus is gone. And then scripture goes on and says that the disciple that Jesus loved, John, a.k.a. like my book, right? Like this is my book, that's how I'm telling it. John finally gets up the courage to go in and it says he saw and he believed. Which I think is pretty interesting, right? You've seen Jesus for the last three years. You've been one of his closest friends. You've seen all the things that Jesus has done, the miracles that he performed, the lives that were changed because of him. And then it says it took an empty grave for him to believe. Does it take that for us today? So if you're following along in scripture, pretty much the very next line is like, the disciples go, well, he's not here. And then it says they head back to where they were staying. So they just like, yep, he's not here, bye. And they go home. Is that not odd? Scripture says that Mary then was left alone again. It was silent in that place, I'm sure, with the exception of the sound of her own tears and weeping. It says Mary then decided that she wanted to poke her head in and just see again what was going on. But this time, when she poked her head in the tomb, the tomb was no longer empty. There's two guys there in the place where Jesus' body was. And they asked her, woman, which I always think is a great way to start a sentence. Woman! Why are you crying? And I'm sure that this was not like a normal everyday occurrence for her. So I'm sure she was pretty panicked at that moment. Uh, She says, uh, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they put him. And then says she immediately turned around and there's a guy right there. And then again, the words, woman, why are you crying? And then he goes on to say, who are you looking for? And let's be clear. This has got to be the worst recorded case of misidentification in all the history of the world when she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Like, sir, if you, if you know where he is, can you just tell me? I'll, I'll take care of him. And all it takes in that moment is one word, right? Mary. He calls her by her name. And he doesn't say, hey, Mary, the woman I've delivered from seven demons, right? Because that part doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus knows her intimately. Jesus loves her. And he just calls her by name. He says, Mary. And in that second, she realizes, this is my Lord. She knows that it's Jesus, her Rabboni, right? Her teacher, So I can't imagine like the shift in emotion that she's feeling in this time, right? Incredible anger and bitterness and sorrow becomes joy. Jesus is the Messiah. There's no questioning that anymore. He is who he says he is. His promises of hope are real and truth. And his resurrection promises new life for her and for you and for you and for me. 
for all of us. And then Jesus leaves her with a mission. Go back and tell your brothers that I'm, I'm here. Go tell them and we'll meet together later on. So now you got Mary having to make another trip back to where the disciples are staying. And then she gets her guys. Jesus showed up and Peter and John are like, are you kidding me? Like I just left. Sometimes, in order for us to be healed, sometimes we have to sit in the moment of hurt so that Jesus can show up. Sometimes we just have to sit in that pain and that anger and that fear in that moment where we are at our lowest and that's when Jesus shows up. John continues on in scripture and we get to see the rest of the events that happened throughout that day. And I'll, I'll read some of this to you. This comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. It says, on the evening of that first day, so again, this is later on Easter day, that first Easter, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then scripture says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed up in the lives of the disciples too. He showed up when the disciples were distraught. They were living literally in fear. They had locked the doors. Don't let anybody in. We don't know if they're spies. We don't know if they're here to hurt us or kill us. They've killed our, our teacher. I'm sure they're going to come after us next. And so they're huddled together in fear. And in another miraculous way, Jesus just pops in. Hey, guys, don't be afraid. It's me. Peace be with you. Jesus shows up again in the moments when he's needed most. Friends, I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes I feel pretty far from Jesus. Sometimes when my life is going fine, I don't necessarily need Jesus, right? Like I don't need him to show up and do some miraculous thing in my life. Sometimes I forget that he's there with me already it's always in those moments where I'm hurting or I'm lost or I feel at my worst that I finally recognize that Jesus has been with me all along. That first Easter morning, Jesus continued to do what he had done the entire time of his ministry up to the day of his crucifixion, Jesus shows up for those who need him most exactly in the moment of need. Mary Magdalene was heartbroken and in need of comfort and Jesus showed up. The disciples were lost and living in fear, locked away in a room so that no one else could get in and Jesus shows up. Jesus shows them his hands and his side and it changes everything about life itself for them and for us. These examples of Jesus showing up in people's lives should bring us hope. 
A hope that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what we've been or what we've been through, no matter if we've been afflicted, if we've been outcast, if we've been stereotyped, if we've had seven demons delivered from us, or if we've been considered less than, that God loves us and is going to show up for us. Death was swallowed up in victory when Jesus rose again, so we no longer have to fear a separation from God. Our future is secure because of God's great love for each one of us. So the question is, how do we live in response to that great love? Friends, we have to be for the world the people that show up. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus that show up when people are in need and broken. We can't be the people that condemn them. We can't be the people who look down on them. We have to be the people who lift them up and bring them the hope of Jesus. We have to help bear the burdens of others so that others can experience the hope of Jesus too. From the very beginning of the the Christian calendar, Christians all over the world have been called Easter people because we believe that Easter changes everything. And so every day that we live, friends, not just on Easter Sunday, every single day that we live, we have to be those people for the world because the world needs hope. And that hope is found in Jesus And we have to tell the world where they can find it. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.